0: Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the Webby-nominated podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books has been sponsored by Himalaya, the best app for discovering, listening, and organizing podcasts. Himalaya was nice enough to reach out and make me an editor's choice, so now they're a sponsor. Check them out at Himalaya.com or in the App Store. I'm really excited to be here today with Heather Hansen, who's the author of The Elegant Warrior, How to Win Life's Trials Without Losing Yourself. A trial lawyer for over 20 years defending medical malpractice suits, Heather is an advocacy and credibility consultant, keynote speaker, and host of The Elegant Warrior podcast. She has appeared on CNN, NBC, Fox News, and has lectured at Stanford University and Villanova graduate of American University and Villanova Law School. She currently lives in New York. So welcome, Heather.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Zubia. I'm excited.
0: Oh, thanks for coming on Monster and Have Time to Read Books. And thanks for just having me on your amazing podcast as well, <laughs> The
1: Elegant Warrior. I was Warrior. so excited to have you on. So it's, it's a thrill. Oh.
0: So can you tell listeners, please, what The Elegant Warrior is about and what inspired you to write it?
1: Sure. So for 20 years, I've defended doctors and hospitals when they get sued. And while it's been a privilege and an honor, it's also very stressful and hard in that trials are a zero sum game. Someone wins and someone loses. And that means that sometimes it can get quite aggressive. And so I was finding that during those times of trial, I wanted to maintain who I was and be true to the choices that I'd made about who I was even when things get hard and we're at the height of the conflict. And I found that some of the ways that I could do that in the courtroom also applied outside the courtroom. I think that we are all our strongest advocates and the best person to protect and champion ourselves. And so if you can take the tools of a trial lawyer and apply them to life so that you can do those things I think it would be helpful. And I wrote the book to help people be able to do that. And it
0: was so great, too, the way you structured the book. Like, each chapter—I mean, I'm always saying for moms who don't have time, like, short chapters are one of the saving graces of of a book for me. But the chapters, were they're so efficient. You have a topic. You have a summary at the end. You have proof. You have advice. like, And it just— It was great. I was like this, and and your own personal story that weaves its way through everything, which made it all the more relatable
1: and compelling. So it was really great. Thank you very much. I mean, it's. I think part of that is the way you have to write as a lawyer, you know, not the stories, but you have to be very focused and you have to get to the point and you can't be super wordy. And also the proof part is interesting. So many times I hear, because this book sort of falls in the self-help genre, and I hear people talking about things and I'm like, well, prove it. Like who are you? I don't understand why you can just say that. So it was important to me to give the psychological studies that backed up some of the things that I said, so that people could say, "Oh." Especially for those people who, for whom proof is important, I wanted to have that there.
0: No, I love that. It was great. So it, did the, Did it just come naturally to you to structure it the way you think about it legally?
1: It did. And also, I I'm the same way with the short chapters, especially for books like this, like nonfiction books. You know, fiction books, a chapter can go on, and I can sort of get caught up in it. But I feel like I want. I wanted this book to be one that if you were looking to a bad day or a stressful day, you could open up to one chapter and just read one chapter really quickly and have that in your pocket for the day. So I knew I wanted them to be sure. I wanted the three takeaways at the end of the chapter. Okay. I was pretty clear about that from the very beginning. It also helped to write it because it made structuring it easier.
0: Yeah, I could see that. You could really like tackle it like on a given day and then like go on to the next and yes. I'm sort of envious of that
1: <laughs> that, that structure. That's awesome. Yeah. If, when you're writing I can't I have I've started a fiction book and it's a lot harder. Like keeping things straight and what did I say and what's this character's name or you know the the thing that I said about that it's you gotta have like index cards everywhere. <laughs>
0: And I also loved all the kind of law and ordery stuff that you sprinkle through because it really did feel like you were watching a great courtroom drama, which are some of the best movies like of all time. Right, take place in the, 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 with the drama and the intensity and all those you know tense moments in the jury, and you like put us right there, which was great. So it's not just like I'm getting advice from you based on your experience. This is more like let me tell you about this case. So it was really, really interesting.
1: Well, it's funny because lawyers have so many stories. You know, I had to get permission from the doctors that I've represented, and I changed a lot of things as well. But there's a lot of things that aren't in the book. And like you, I may someday fictionalize some of those things and make it into another book. But there's there's very little as interesting as the courtroom because, you know, it's win and lose. And what else is like that? Politics, sports. Those are the things. And then in my cases, because it's doctor and patient, they know each other. The only thing comparable to that is divorce law or family law, because these doctors and patients have touched each other, sometimes, you know, very delicately touched each other. And so the cases get very stressful and emotional and very relatable in big, big ways. So the stories were just ripe for the taking. That was not hard. I mean, there's hundreds of other stories that I didn't tell. So that part was relatively easy.
0: And I really liked the most the stories about you and getting to know you through this book. I was particularly struck one of the, in, I think it was the first chapter, towards the beginning of the book, you talk about yourself in high school and how you at that time were 100 pounds overweight and yet you still like to sing and you were sort of saying the attitude is everything. Thing, that you would sing and da 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 and then you were in the ladies' room one day and some nasty girl was like, What do you have to be happy about? Which is just like, right. really, what is with people these? I mean, ugh, everybody's so mean anyway. And you thought about that and tell I just wanted to hear more about that and then you ended up losing a hundred pounds. I mean, that's an interesting story in and of itself.
1: So tell me a little about that. <laughs> yeah, so it it's funny because that's probably that's a that's a longer story too. but the the first thing about that story is the girl who asked me that question actually, I now know for sure, had her own stuff going on. I'm sure. And I do think that hurt people hurt people. So I feel like it wasn't so much that I was, I mean, obviously she was being snotty and rude, but I was really curious, like, why am I so happy? Because in high school, I was popular and I had a ton of friends and I loved my high school years, but I didn't go to prom and I didn't go to the socials. I didn't go to dances. I didn't have a boyfriend. And I do think that it was a choice, you know, that I chose to be happy and that you make those choices at times of trial when i'm in the middle of a case i also choose to be compassionate to the person on the other side and to be happy as best i can and some days that's easier than others so that part of the story is that and then the weight loss thing is you know when i when i got a little bit older and got to college i just realized that i never wanted to feel as though i hadn't reached the utmost of my potential so i wanted to see what that was and so losing the weight was pretty much, I was not in a rush, which I think helps. It wasn't like, I want to lose it by this day. It was just like, what can I be? What could I be? And I think that that's thinking of things in those terms helps you to sort of see. So I lost that hundred pounds, but I got to tell you, Zibi, that was, you know, God, a million years ago. I was 18, now I'm 46. But and it, it's not been, that wasn't just it. You know, I gained, then I lost, and I gained, then I lost. And for a long time, what I ate and my health and fitness and all that was such a huge part of my brain power. And it wasn't until recently that I stopped perseverating on that. And it was when I stopped perseverating on my weight that I was able to write the book because less of my brain was sucked up with, what am I gonna eat today? Are my pants gonna fit? What am I gonna do to work out? Am I gonna burn off as much as I ate? And started being more okay with how I looked and who I was. And then I had all this brain space that I was like, well, now I can write a book. (laughs)
0: There you go. It's a silver lining.
1: That's that's right. Exactly.
0: Oh my gosh. Well, it's good to have come to like a level of peace with whatever, right? I mean.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you want to be, and it's also been great because since I sort of did that, I've maintained at the weight that's right for me instead of this up and down that I used to do when I was constantly dieting. So for me and every, I feel like, You know, the the dieting and the weight thing is not a big part of the book and it's probably a whole other book and a whole other conversation. But I feel like there's no one size fits all when it comes to weight. You know, everybody's got to find their own way. And sometimes it takes a whole bunch of different doors before you end up where you're supposed to be. Very true.
0: Well, I like how you included that as sort of one of the trials along, along yeah. the way and how you managed that. That was great. You also talked about one trial where you had gotten very attached to the doctor, a woman doctor about your age. And when you were on your way to go fight for her, you had an allergic reaction basically to stress, not to anything else, that your hormones cause you to end up in the ER and your lips were swelling up and it was like a whole thing. And I was reading this being like, Oh my gosh, I cannot believe this is happening to her. (laughs) Like tell me
1: about that situation. It was terrible. It was terrible because the doctor, you know, every doctor that I represent, I become close to in you, but some just, you know, she was. She looked like me, she was my age, she was a woman in a field of men, she really needed to win the case and she was explaining to me why. And as she was explaining to me why I could feel, now I've always gotten hives from hormonal things like stress, but I could feel my lips swelling as she was speaking. And then I did that thing where you sort of try and talk yourself into saying it's going to be okay. And ultimately, I called an Uber to go to the hospital
0: because
1: <laughs> I was embarrassed to call 911.
0: You are, and the, so I, you are the second person in the last two days to tell me about taking Ubers to the hospital when you should have called an ambulance. I'm like, these poor Uber drivers. <laughs> with, like all these what? sick
1: people in the back. Like. I know he was. Oh my gosh, that is so funny because he was totally looking in the rearview mirror, like with his eyes wide, because my face was just getting bigger and bigger. But it's funny you just made me think of something. I recently read that women die of choking most often in the bathroom because they go there because they're embarrassed that they're choking. And then they end up not getting the help they need. So totally off point. But it goes to show that we need to be less embarrassed about stupid things. I should have called an ambulance that day. And women should not run to the bathroom when they're choking. Any women listening, don't run to the bathroom. Get some help. But I, uh, so in that
0: case. Wait, as a quick aside, ambulances take forever to come in New York City. Just... We oh! Took like 15 yeah. minutes. You could have like been in a cab and at the hospital, but anyway, just throwing that out there. Uh, yeah, a- no,
1: that's a that's a good point, and I know you've dealt with that recently with one of your children with allergies. It's it's scary as can be, whether you're a child, a mother, or the person going no, through yeah. it.
0: I mean, it, go go back to your story. No, I didn't want this to be. I was just saying, like maybe in the future, the cab might be the way to go. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah,
1: hopefully it never happens again. Yes, but yeah. it, it was, you know, it was. I, I went to the hospital. They gave me Benadryl and steroids, and it turned out to be okay though the whole time, the case was an emergency room case. So the whole time that I was in the hospital, I was like, this is like manifestation at its finest, right? I'm like obsessed with emergency rooms. I'm reading emergency room records. I'm studying emergency room medicine, and now I'm sitting in one, like getting a real-time experience. Ultimately, though, we won that case, and it was one of the best wins I've ever had. Being able to call this woman up and tell her that we had won was a huge, huge, huge reward. But it also taught me that I had to find a way to make it less. My job, my wins and my losses were me for a while. And it was everything to me. And that's not healthy. You know, I, It's sometimes I felt like it had to be that way in order to serve my clients well. And that's not true either. You know, you can serve the people around you, whether it's your clients as a lawyer, whether you're in sales, whether it's your family, you can serve them well and still find a way to take care of yourself. It's hard, but it's something that you should really try to work on doing
0: otherwise you end up in the ER. Right.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Or, or needing other kinds of help. Right. If you don't take care of yourself, it's imperative. It it,
0: it catches up to you. (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. No doubt. No Uh, doubt about it.
0: And you also told this other story about the man you were dating. I don't know if you're still dating him, but how he had had a heart attack and you spent the whole weekend with him and didn't even know it and then had to go through that whole situation as well.
1: Yeah, it's it's terrible to say, but I've had two men named John have heart attack in my presence, which is like, so I'm not dating John anymore, but we were at the shore. And and one of the things, because I defend doctors, I feel like I'm a doctor. My brother makes fun of me because he's like, you can't deliver babies. When my sister was having her baby, I was ready to run in and take care (laughs) of it. And same thing, I do a lot of orthopedic cases. So I seem to think that I could perform my dad's knee replacement surgeries. But when John we were dating and we were at the shore and he was having stomach pains all weekend. And he was such a trooper and such a great guy that, he you know, he tried to come to the beach with me and my friends, even though he wasn't feeling great. And he like carried a woman in a wheelchair. She had one of those sand wheelchairs down the beach and, you know, not feeling great. And then on Sunday morning of that weekend, the doctor finally said, it sounds like you have a kidney stone, go to the hospital. And, you know, it really showed me, Zibi, what role serendipity plays i mean if we had gone to the hospital in jersey it's not as well known for cardiac help and who knows what would have happened and then when we got to the hospital he was sort of like well if it's crowded i'm not staying i just want to get some sleep and if there's no parking i'm not staying and it turned out that we got the the most amazing cardiologist at Lenox hill hospital and John had had, heart, had had a heart attack on Friday and he had like the worst kind of heart attack you can have. But he's now, we are still good friends and he is now really healthy and he was healthy before, but I think really good at sort of taking better care of himself in a similar way. Wow.
0: You talk about crying in the courtroom and how you're just a crier and that's, I am also a crier, so I get it. But then you had this lovely line when you said, my saltiest tears have been from the times I've lost my way. Which made me so sad. So I wondered uh-huh. if you could share maybe one time where you feel like you lost your
1: way in, in life. I you know, Well, I and I think it's especially true with my cases. So when I first started, there are some lawyers who are super, super aggressive. And I never wanted to be that person. In fact, I've had lawyers say to their client, Heather is not your friend. <laughs> because I, you know, I want to... I always feel as though if it's my job to take away their story, because ultimately the jury has to decide between two stories. And if I think a patient is not telling the truth, whether by choice or by their memory, my job is to show that to the jury. So I can take their story without taking their dignity, but I'm not perfect. And there are times when I get more aggressive than I want to be, especially when I was younger. And I felt that pressure to be, it's a man's world that I live in. Only 5% of trial lawyers about are women. And so those cases where I attacked more than I had to or got more bloody than I had to, those are the times when I, my tears whether I won or lost would be I'm not being who I want to be in this job. There's a story that I tell at the beginning of the book of sitting in my car and crying because there was a patient who was hurt and I had to attack his story and I felt bad about it afterwards. It's it's a very fine line between taking a person's story and taking their dignity and any time that I feel like I've fallen on the side of taking their dignity it hurts me Oh, that's nice. I mean, that's, I mean,
0: I know it is. I mean, I'm sure not every lawyer, well, anyway, I'll leave that aside. Well, maybe I'll transition to this now, actually. You said you had a whole section also on getting dirty, which was fantastic. And you quoted George Bernard Shaw, who said, I learned long ago never to wrestle with a pig. You both get dirty and the pig likes it. Like that's the best quote ever. And then you mentioned about ways that people had sort of played dirty with you and how you weren't willing to engage. So I was hoping you could tell the story of the lawyer who was rooting through all of your stuff when you snuck back in and how you handled that.
1: Yeah, so when we leave the courtroom, we leave all of our papers behind. And while you know, you'd know you think that a lot of this stuff would be online, we really do, we're still paper heavy. And so you sort of put all your papers on one side of the room and you hope for the best. There are some lawyers who take everything back to their office every night, but we're talking about boxes and boxes and boxes of stuff. So doing that is literally packing everything up and having a courier come, and it just doesn't make sense. So in this particular case, I had left the courtroom and then realized I forgot my umbrella, went back into the courtroom, and saw the opposing counsel on my side of the room rooting through the boxes. And he saw me, I saw him, and he was completely embarrassed. I don't know that he actually saw anything that would have helped him with the case. And at the end of the case, there were multiple defendants, and it was a defense verdict we all won. But he wasn't able to meet my eye to shake my hand, which is another thing that's important to me. I want to be able to meet the eye of everyone in that courtroom and and then in my own eye in the mirror at the end of the day. But what I did start doing is I wear my sneakers to and from court and then I change into big, nasty, uncomfortable heels for the courtroom. So I started every day when I would take off my heels, I would put them on top of the boxes to sort of protect them and to say to people, like, if you want to get in here, you have to go past these shoes.
0: (laughs) I loved, I feel like that should have been the cover of this book, a picture of all those boxes with your stilettos on top. Like that was like, killer. I loved it.
1: My mom said the exact same things to me. So I should have contacted the two of you. She uh, loved that that visual as well.
0: Yeah, that was a great one. <laughs> so tell me also about starting your podcast. How did you end up starting the Elegant Warrior podcast and have you enjoyed doing it and like what's been the best oh part God.
1: and... I I love it. So I started it as a platform. You know, we've talked about this before that if you are an author or have any, like I do a lot of keynote speaking on how to be your own best advocate in sales and how to use the tools of a trial lawyer to win more sales and more attention. And so I wanted a platform for both of those things. And I don't like talking about myself, despite you know, like, yeah, Heather, you wrote a book <laughs> about yourself. But I really like hearing other people's stories and sharing other people's stories and sharing other people's lessons. So the podcast was the perfect vehicle to create a platform without having to be like, hey, look at me every day. And it has been the greatest gift of this entire process. Being able to meet and interview I mean, you know this because you get to reach out to authors who otherwise you'd never get to talk to and have conversations with them. It's like, I don't know why everyone isn't doing this. And it seems like more and more people are. It's like, so some of the people, I mean, Kelly Rutherford, I, you may know her as well. She lives in New York and she has become a friend. She's been on the podcast. And Dan Abrams, who's my boss at the Law and Crime Network. But also, and she's mentioned in the book as well, Judge Rosemary Aquilina, who mm-hmm. was the judge in that Larry Nasser case. I am an anchor at the Law and Crime Network sometimes. And I watched her handle that case. And I so wanted to talk to her. And she agreed to come on the podcast which otherwise I never would have been able to have a conversation with her. So it is so much fun. It's been so great and a lot easier than I thought it would be. I have a fabulous Gotham Podcast Studio is where I do my podcast, and they make it really easy. So it's just been win, 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 win. That's awesome.
0: And I just want to close with one quote that you... Ask people. You got this from a judge, and maybe that was it. That judge, yes, it was that yes, judge, right? Okay. Yes, yes. And she says, "Tell me what you want me to know." Instead of asking, like, "Tell," she says, "Tell me what you want me to know." And I loved that, and that she found that, and you also found that it elicited a whole different range of responses than a more direct question or something. But it allows people to offer up. So I want to ask you now, like, "Tell me
1: what you want me to know." <laughs> Uh, What I want people to know is that there is no one better suited to speak up for you, to champion you, to protect you, to help you than you are. You know, I always say to people like, be your own advocate. There is no one who knows what you know. There is no one, your voice is as individual to you as your fingerprint. There is no one who can say what you need to say the way you need to say it. And whether that's writing a book, as all of the authors that you talk to, whether it's having a podcast or whether it's just talking to your spouse and and telling them what you want them to know, you can do it. You don't need to look to somebody else to do it for you. And the more tools that you have in your toolbox, the better you can do it. But one way or another, you'll find your way. Oh, I love that. And just
0: any last advice just for somebody writing a book right now?
1: The way that I did it, and again, it's sort of like losing weight. Everybody has their way. But the way that I did it was I took time every morning. So I'm an early riser anyway. I get up at five to work out. I started getting up at four. I know that sounds like, oh my gosh, but it was four to five is during that time for me that no one was going to call me. My doctors are early risers. So sometimes they do start calling at five. I had that hour of time every morning that I could totally commit to writing. And that's how I got it done. Wow. I'm so impressed. (laughs) It's
0: not easy, but it's done. It was great. The book was, no, it was really fantastic and like user-friendly, but also I loved getting to know you more through the book and it was really great. So, and thanks for coming on the podcast and your podcast and all the rest of it. Thank Thank you. you, (laughs) Thank you. It was a pleasure. My pleasure. Mine too. (laughs) All right. Bye, Heather. Bye. Thanks again to today's sponsor of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books, Himalaya, the best app for discovering, listening, and organizing podcasts, Himalaya.com. Thanks for listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. You can follow me on Instagram at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Thanks for listening. You can always email me at zibby at zibbyowens.com.